You ready, boys? Let's get it started. Let's do this. My name's Kent. I'm the host of episode nine, or episode Jim McMahon. Ooh, I've been waiting all year to have (laughs) a Jim McMahon (laughs) reference. Absolutely. Geoholics, a podcast produced by and for geomatics professionals. That opening uh, little ditty there is by Kohler's. This is the second week in a row we've used it. The name of that song is Dangerous. Kohler's is Rob and Lauren, husband and wife, of course. They've been described as desert disco, space blues, and glam a billy, if there is such a thing. I've never heard of that one they before. Have a, they have set the bar. I just really hear Burning high. Man when you say all that. <laughs> exactly. Pace Magazine says Kohler's play their unique blend of 70s glam rock, 90s grunge, and twangy country with every inch of their body. And. That is definitely the case for Lauren. Well, she's dancing on the drum, she's you said. dancing. She's everywhere, man. <laughs> uh, and one tidbit of information that I found out. So Rob is the grandson of the late British actor Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw played an integral role in a movie that gave me two weeks of sleepless nights when I was a kid. Done it. Done it. You got it. He was <laughs> Quint in the movie Jaws. Remember that? How could you forget? Oh, my God. That's a classic. That guy freaking scared the shit out of me. That, <laughs> that whole freaking movie. Oh, my God. So, anyways, check him out. Uh, of course, YouTube and uh, Spotify, Apple iTunes, Music, Spotify, the whole it. thing. Check out Kohler's. You're going to love them. And uh, we're just we're so lucky to have them as, uh, in, in, in our, uh, our stable of bands, our podcast bands. So, all right. Here we are. We are, of course, here in Studio One, the global headquarters. That is not false advertisement. We either. went from international to global. Huh? We are. This is the global headquarters of the Geoholics here at Social Hall. And this is pretty exciting. Tonight, we have a guest from Social Hall to tell us what they have going on. The lovely Megan, who is the marketing and events manager at Social Hall, is here to talk about what's going on. Megan. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. All right. Well, just to let you know, I know that uh, Kent and crew have been doing a great job of plugging uh, Social Hall for the last few weeks, but I want to get you up to date on things going on. We have a Halloween hangover party the day after Halloween because we don't want to compete with everybody else. So we've got... Uh, Great food specials, drink specials, some contests, and of course, Carol Pacey and the Honey Shakers that start at 8 o'clock. You know, Kent is excited about that. And we actually are also a top shelf coyotes bar. And what that means is that if the coyotes are on the road and you want to come out to Social Hall and watch the coyotes, you check in on the NHL app. And you get points. And however many points you have, there's all kinds of prizes. And we're going to be doing some giveaways as well. So come on in when the coyotes are on the road and visit us and check in. Fantastic. Anything new on the menu? Um, We don't have anything new yet, but we did um, go ahead and get a giant smoker. So soon on the menu will be uh, some of Chef Jason's ribs, which we all know are great. So they're going to come back and be on the menu, and then we're going to test out a few other things. And I think during that uh, Halloween hangover party, we're going to have some special uh, smoked meats and different things. So hypothetically, if, this is a big if, if peanut butter and jelly wins the sandwich of choice, do you think Jason can use the smoker and come up with a peanut butter and jelly 
smoked something. Is that realistic? Some bacon, maybe? I think so. Yeah, smoked bacon, of course. And I don't know. I, I don't. Have we ever tried smoking peanuts for the peanut butter? How about making homemade oh smoked peanut butter? We, I, it's a million dollar idea. There you go. It's a million dollars. I just want 50%. <laughs> just, just stop recording now. we gotta, we got to start over. <laughs> I, exactly. I don't, I don't got, know if go Chef Jason is really going to be buying off on this, but uh, he loves Sloppy Joes. So, you know, well, I think we'll he's going for that. We'll see what happens. we got two more episodes and there's going to be a winner and we're, we're going to put Jason on the spot. So. Well, we could do like a smoked peanut butter and jelly drink as well something yeah, yeah. i'm get... sure i'm sure um the bartenders can come up with that you guys will whip something up i'm sure absolutely fantastic well thanks again for allowing us to be here in studio one we appreciate it thank you yep have fun thank you uh also something else i need to mention we have a new friend of the of the show that being rplstoday.com if you guys have not checked out this website as soon as you're done listening, I would say drop what you're doing and go there, but I don't want you to drop what you're doing. Just don't you to, turn us off. Don't turn us off. Yeah. Finish our show and then go to rplstoday.com and check out this website. It is a catch-all for surveyors and geomatics professionals in general. They have um, you know, some, uh, I, I, I don't want to say chat room. I don't even know if they have chat rooms anymore. Chat board of some sort. Something like that. But it's monitored, which is fantastic. That's something like Jake would know the proper name for. A forum, maybe, I was thinking. That's probably more That's accurate. what the kids call yeah. it these days. Yeah, I think a forum, like a public forum. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that's 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 why I have Jake. He makes, us, yeah. he makes me sound dumb, but he's smart, so that's good. He's good um, for the kids. He's good for the kids, yeah. So... But it's super great website, uh, tons of amazing links on there. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the, the public forum, I think, is invaluable. I know there's some Facebook pages um, that have, you know, forum type things that are public that kind of get off track a little bit. and uh, They turn into complaint rooms. Complaint rooms where this isn't the case. This is really good, solid content. So um, like I said, rplstoday.com. Check them out. With that, let's catch up with the fellas. Jake? How How's you doing, going? buddy? Good. How are you? Doing fantastic. We got another hundred listeners. Yeah. Actually, we're up a little bit more. We're at our two. So we, we wanted to go two to one, right? We're at two hundred now. So on the week, oh my god, exponential growth. So I was actually putting up the episode from this last week, Melissa's episode. Yeah. And I was thinking like, every, we've done this consistently for eight or nine weeks now. Every week, I don't. I feel like even when we were recording that first introduction episode, we were thinking, oh, maybe every two weeks or so, three weeks or so, and we've been doing a great job, so I'm just like super proud of us that we've been putting it up and we're booked through the end of the year, so we got some really good cu- content coming out. Absolutely, and ag- again, I cannot say this enough, We would not, I would not be sitting in this chair recording this episode right now with my friends if it wasn't for Jake, so Jake, round of applause. you are the thank man, you, thank you, thank you are thank the you. man, yep. couldn't do it without you. How about you, Big Shoots, what's going on? Uh, after last week's discussion, I, I pulled the trigger and Got my new golf clubs. Got the sticks. Um, within five minutes of leaving the store, my wife texted me and said, looks like you went a little over budget. I was like, wow. She <laughs> five was minutes? monitoring it. Yes. Well, she gets that, that uh, notification. You spent $5,000. Not that much. $15,000. Uh, not that good. No, 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 no. I barely went over, so she was cool with it. I can't complain, but yeah. I uh, don't have any plans to get out until the end of this week. I've had them for a week just rolling in my trunk. Oh. It'll probably burning a hole in your trunk. A little bit. I got to get out and get that those whole things going. Work yeah. gets in the way of my golf habit. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, once we figure out how to monetize the podcast to the point where all of us can freaking quit our jobs, 
Then we golf all day. Then we just we we we, we got to stick with the program for right now. But we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. Then we can record more than once a week. Even oh my gosh, you know? I, I honestly I could do it every day. I swear. We should just get Jake to quit school now. We're, just start right, a radio. Yeah, he's got like half a semester yeah. left. Yeah. Quit school, Jake. Yeah. <laughs> start a radio show. We're going every day, <laughs> yeah. three hours a day. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Oh, that's great. Hilarious. So what about you? Oh gosh, um, let me think. What's new? Oh. Yesterday, as a matter of fact, I got tickets to my favorite show on Hulu, Letter Kenny. Ah. They, uh, there's a U.S. tour, and of course, they're coming through Phoenix. So I got on there like right when tickets are going on sale, and got Megan and I, the lovely Megan, I'm sorry, Front a couple center. tickets. No. No? Get this. The first 15 rows were anywhere from 225 to $175 a ticket. They're all like VIP, so you got to meet and greet and stuff like that. So I'm like in row 20. They're like 60 bucks a piece. Well, yeah. Where's the, What's the venue? Where's the it Orpheum. Okay, downtown. downtown. Yeah, super small. It's a pretty super intimate small. place. It's going to be awesome. That'd be, that'd be a good time. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great, yeah. Um, and then so, new, that new season just came out, so you better brush up before you go. I will indeed. No question. I also, in this past week, uh, purchased my first drone. I bought a uh, <laughs> a Phantom 3 Standard. Is that what it's called, Jake? Uh-huh, yep. Um, off a buddy of mine. Barely used it, so it's in like new condition. Got a really good deal on it, of course. Um, but I figured, you know, just something to mess around with. So I'm kind of excited to get going with that. And uh, Jake's going to give me some drone lessons. As soon as you crash it, we'll have a good story to tell everybody. Uh, yeah. Safety share, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right. Safety share. Good one. <laughs> Speaking of safety shares, uh, this week's safety share is seven reasons site accidents happen. So I came across this uh, sometime throughout the past week. And I'm going to summarize it. But here are the seven reasons that site accidents happen. First, taking shortcuts. Of course. Yep. Being overconfident. That's a huge one. Incomplete. Having incomplete instructions. Poor housekeeping. Ignoring safety procedures. I feel like that would be the, the biggest one. That's a big one. Mental distractions, I think, is actually probably the biggest one. Cell phones. Cell phones. Just, you know, thinking about things you got going on in, at home or what you're doing after work or whatever. It's it's very difficult to stay focused for, you know, eight to ten hours at a time. So mental distractions are a huge one. I know you have trouble focusing for like eight to ten minutes. Through three minutes. <laughs> I'm so ADD, it's ridiculous. And the final one is failure to pre-plan the work in hand. So there's a lot that goes into safety, especially, you know, working on a construction site or working out in public right away, what have you. But, you know, hopefully you guys will take this to heart and uh, just, you know, think about this thing. I know there's a lot of, uh, a lot of companies that have like job um, hazard uh acknowledgements and these different forms that have to be filled out on a daily basis on sites. But really it comes down to personal responsibility and, and, and following through with, uh, you know, what you've been taught as far as safety goes. So just want everybody to get home safe at the end of the day. That's the goal. No question. So our guest today is Mr. Jason Foos. Jason, uh, Jason's been serving for almost 30 years. He is a registrant in not only Arizona, but also Colorado, Nevada, and Oregon. Some uh, some background or bio information on Jason, just so you can kind of get a flavor for this man. He uh, was born in Cleveland, Ohio. Poor guy. Grew up in is the it Med- on the Medina lake. or Medina? I don't want to I don't want to mispronounce this. Well, if you're a hillbilly from Ohio, it's Medina. Medina. All right, but that's what we'll go with. If you're from Texas, they say Medina. But if you're from Chicago, well, 
Uh, you could go either way on that. You know, um, when I moved to Colorado, it was funny because every job application I had, it was, oh, you went to Medina High School. Oh, huh? I'm Medina. like, no, I went to Medina. <laughs> <laughs> so Medina, Ohio, is where he uh, claims to have grown up. He has taken a number of credits from University of Ak- Ak- Akron. 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 Yes. <laughs> now you got me doing the uh, nothing, slang Nothing thing. worth yeah. uh, noting. Yeah. And he definitely wanted to make sure that we plug the uh, outstanding uh, ABET accredited surveying and mapping program there. There's uh, fewer and fewer of them, so uh, you know, definitely make note of that. Land surveying is his first passion. Jason has invested his life into the advancement of our, of our profession. He writes for the American Surveyor Magazine and studies case law in his spare time. He also enjoys programming handheld calculators. Very interesting. Nerd. Nerd. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. He's recently been dabbling in simple, speaking of nerd, he's recently been dabbling in simple tone circuits for electric guitars and amplifiers. We'll circle back on that because I have no idea yeah, what that is. I'm lost. And he enjoys traveling with his longtime girlfriend, Megan. So he has a lovely Megan as well. And they love to hit the coast from about Morro Bay. Where's that, California? Yes. And uh, and and head north from there, all the way north to the top. Fantastic. We'll 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 touch on that. This is all good stuff. Jason is the associate editor, as I mentioned, for the American Surveyor Magazine, and he's also the survey land survey representative on the Arizona Board of Technical Registration, where he is the chairman. So this is pretty cool. Coincidentally, of course, we had Melissa Cornelius, the executive director of the Arizona Board of Technical Registration, on last episode, and now we have Mr. Foose, the chairman of the board. So, I think what happened, heavy hitters. you know what I think happened? I think that Jason found out that Melissa was on, mm-hmm. and he got a little jealous, and he's like, I want to come on. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get out there. <laughs> Ran all the way down here as quickly yeah, as he right. could. Not at all. Yep. So, his, uh, his favorite... <laughs> It even gets it even gets better. His favorite sports team is the Cleveland Browns. Oh, <laughs> oh my hey, goodness! If suck had a color, it'd be brown. It'd be brown. <laughs> okay. I'm just glad Odell's stuck there. Oh my goodness! And finally, he drives a hybrid. What do you drive? Uh, a Honda Iconic. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, I know exactly what you're talking about. And he uh, digs Volkswagen Beetles. Do you have one? I don't yet. That's have you my, had? Have you had one? I. I've had several Volkswagen products, but not a Beetle, and I think that's what I got my eyes on next. That's awesome. I, I did have a Porsche I love 914. Him. I love him. Yep, and then, you know, with that, he had a Porsche 914 that he loved and was slowly restoring when it caught fire during a ride. Is <laughs> he that says, a, okay. He said, well, I'll say it. He said it was the coolest sight he ever saw. While crying. <laughs> Is that the one they called the, the Widowmaker or something? Is that the 914? I, I'm not sure about that. Um, <laughs> all I know is is fuel lines are very important in an air-cooled product. So you want braided fuel lines. So here's my safety tip to all the kids out there in TV <laughs> land. Get braided fuel lines on your Volkswagens, man. But what happened is we were cruising down the road, and I, I felt this... Uh, uh, weird throttle response, right? And I'm sitting there pumping it, and I'm thinking, oh, man, this thing's going to leave me stranded on the side of the road, so I better pull off the main road. And I pull off onto a side street, and and I as I'm looking back over my shoulder, of course, the, the uh, 914's a mid-engine rig. Yep. So I'm looking back, and, and I see these flames shooting out of the engine compartment, and I'm like, holy smokes. <laughs> so... I get it straightened out on the side street, and and we bail, and and Jacob Begin's son, who's with me, doesn't have 
a sense of smell. And and I'm like, oh, no, this kid's going to burn up in this car, and I'm going to be in a world of crap. So I'm like, Jake, come on, bail. So we bail, and we run out about, I don't know, 50, 50 feet, maybe 100 feet or so, just far enough. The fire department comes, and I, I believe I called the fire department. They come. And I'm sitting there watching this thing, and I'm I'm really this is really the coolest event I've ever seen. I mean, to watch a car burn is pretty cool, you know. You don't see that on chips or uh, smoking a bandit or anything, you know. And I'm like, wow, this is awesome. But I'm sitting there crying, think of thinking of all the time I put in this rig and I, everything. And here comes the fire department, and they they attack this car like it is it is uh, I don't know Normandy Beach, and they got all their their levers and 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 pry bars and all this stuff and they have to pry every orifice open of this car to put out the fire i'm like just put water on it man don't mess it up well they ended up uh messing the body up on it and uh just just this car was just showroom you know and mm. and i i ended up uh finding a fella in denmark that that wanted it that understood what it was and and the condition that it was in sure most remarkably about this whole deal, and this is a plug for Porsche, the engine compartment sits right behind the seats because it's a mid-engine uh, setup. Uh, most, uh, the thing that I was most impressed with is the engine compartment completely contained the fire. There was nothing. The seats weren't burnt. The, the things in the trunk weren't burnt. And I thought, wow. Those Germans know how to design a car. <laughs> well, and you put it back together correctly, too. I ended up just just getting rid of the carcass because it was an Arizona rust-free carcass. Yeah. Actually, Californian, but it, it was a rust-free carcass. And this guy over in Denmark, I guess they use road salt or something over there. That it, It's a rarity to him. So he, he actually contacted me, and, and we negotiated a deal. And it's in Denmark now in a good home and, and a good place. So I, I, I just can't express the feeling of... Of, I I mean it was really the coolest thing, but I'm just sitting there crying. Oh, I would I'm have like too. crying yeah. and laughing at the same time. I guess. I so, don't know. what's the relationship between Porsche and Volkswagen? Well, in in that model, that was actually a joint venture model, and the car was uh, it used Volkswagen components. And the idea between both entities was to have kind of a. Um, uh, you know, a beginner or a, a low-end sports car that both people could enjoy with the badging of Porsche with the price of a Volkswagen. So they kind of cross-contaminated, I guess, if you would, components. And it was a Porsche motor, but it had some Volkswagen elements to it. And and you probably could could swap all of the components from one or the other. So it was a very gotcha. uh, um, universal piece for both Porsche and Volkswagen. According to the accounts that I read, the management of both teams did all this work on a handshake and, and somebody died and, and the handshakes uh, uh, kind of faded away. And, and so that's what was the, the terminus of the 914 model, which is really a, just a, a different model for Porsche and uh, a different model for Volkswagen. So you know, you know, it's so funny. Even when he talks, he talks like a surveyor. Did you hear him use the term terminus? No, <laughs> I missed that one. He just said terminus. <laughs> he said terminus. Uh, uh, that's great. He sticks with it. He sticks with it. Yeah, twenty-four-seven. This guy. You know, I can't shower that off of me. You know, <laughs> I mean, really. So, speaking of uh, of land surveying, which is why we have you here, of course. Um, what? Take me back to the beginning. How did this? How did this start? How did you get into 
land surveying and making it a career. A long, long time ago in a galaxy far, 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 far away. away right? right? Yeah. yeah. Well, this place is called Medina, Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worse than anything you've ever seen in Star Wars. Actually, it's a beautiful community. Um, I, um, I had, at a young age, I was uh, enlisted in the, the Army National Guard and I went and did my commitments with that. And, and so at a young age, I was introduced to the title insurance business from, um, a local friend and, and she employed me, uh, at her title agency to research titles. And I started researching titles and I'm like, wow, this is kind of a cool job. You know, you get to put together a chain of title and you get together, you get to look at, uh, uh, legal descriptions and analyze them and see how they all fit. And then the end product is uh, the title insurance. And I, I really enjoyed um, the elements of the title insurance business that pertain to land surveying, uh, the geometrics, the, uh, the geodetic end of it, the, the chains of title. I didn't really care for, and now Medina's kind of a small town, so I kind of knew the people that I was examining their titles for. One of the things you have to do in the title business is kind of look at things like uh, um, probate records and, and uh, they call it common pleas court, which would be superior court in Arizona. But you look at when people get divorced and you look at tax liens and things like that, kind of the 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 things that we, we don't like to promote about ourselves, you know, kind of the bad side of people. And, and I didn't like looking at that stuff. So the parts of the title insurance business that I liked were directly related to surveying. So I'm in this old courthouse that's, oh gosh, the thing was built in, eight, I don't know, 1818 or something, you know, very early in our history. And I'm, I'm, I work in this courthouse every day and I work with a group of catty old women and, you know, and I'm like, you know, I don't really like this part, you know, <laughs> this is kind of sucky. But I'd see these dudes walk in every day and they were tan and they had blonde hair because they were outside working and they'd wear cutoff shorts and work boots, you know, and I'm like... Yeah, man. All the all the chicks look at them. So I want to be that dude, right? So the they were stars. surveyors, right? And they would do these. Uh, they call them mortgage identification surveys. There and they're they're kind of a rudimentary service that uh, the surveyors provide for lenders. Uh, we don't have that in Arizona, but it, it's something that many states have. So I'd see these dudes all the time, and I'd start talking to them, and and you know, developing a rapport, and uh, so. Um, that started to interest me. So what I did, I, and I had the good fortune of just kind of being at the right place at the right time. The county surveyor of Medina County, uh, Fred Borman, had um, kind of migrated into a position where he had a, a private practice. So he went into a technical position at the county. So he was he had the opportunity to kind of take me under his wing. And in the evenings and on the weekends, I would go work for him and we would do j jobs for him. And he had a very... A uh, specific market. Um, he didn't go out and do anything that he could. He only did jobs that required very in-depth title analysis and a, a long historic chain of title and a, a very in-depth boundary surveying. And and he would do these uh, these projects that were were um, really focused on. Uh, well, in fact, one of his uh, um, primary clients were an Amish community. So these were people that were, they're not, you know, your typical Arizona developer that just wants to turn this stuff over. These were people that were very concerned about the land because they were buying the land for the purpose of holding the land and, and carrying the title and doing some things that were a little, a little different than what we see today in the modern or the contemporary uh, 
land development environment. So Fred could spend the time with them, and uh, being a low overhead operation, he could um, attend to their needs in a, in a legal way. So um, I, I got some great exposure to that uh, through Fred and the experience that he had he was willing to share with me. So I, I kind of took a little internship with him, and he, he took me under his wing and uh, gave me some experience that I needed to go ahead and get out of the title industry and get into a full-time position with and uh, um, what you'd call a conventional outfit, uh, Rolling and Hosevar, which was civil engineering and land development and all the things that emerged uh, up through the early 90s through, uh, oh well, I'll call it the great crash of 2009. So um, I worked with Rolling and Hosevar for um, several years and, and really broadened my experience. And I, I really have to say that the, that was the finest group of people I worked with because they were all so broad-minded about things. Um, they weren't afraid of GPS. They weren't afraid of any technology. They, they embraced technology. In fact, our owner um, was one of the pioneers of um, a GIS system in our local county, and he, he encouraged the uh, county commissioners to adopt a GIS system. So this is how forward-thinking Charlie Rowling was. Just a brilliant, brilliant guy. And and these weren't the old crusty, you know, the, the crusty, oh, I still need my chain kind of surveyors. <laughs> these guys were progressive, and they were on top of things, and I, I really um, embraced the experience that I had there. So I had the opportunity to travel across the country and do a lot of things like engage in uh, ground control for photogrammetry. Um and and do uh, mapping projects and and utility route lines and 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 whatever there was. So this was um, just a very uh, an open minded scenario, and it was it was probably the greatest experience of my life professionally at that time because it it exposed me to as much as I could be exposed to, rather than just a narrow little genre of you're going to do boundary surveys and our clients are these three you know lawyers and attorneys in town so it it was kind of a, a renaissance for me um and we always embraced technology and we always looked at the things that we could do so it was um i i'm just very fond of it and i'm very fond of the opportunity to have worked for and known charlie rolling because his mindset was like that now charlie has since passed and he's Oh, he probably would have been in his late seventies or eighties about now. So he was kind of of that post World War II right? genre. Yeah. He he was one of them. He, he was, was one, one of, of mentors. Them. Yeah. Um, but he um, I think the point is that that he was far beyond what I perceive our profession as. He was always looking forward. Forward. Always. Yep. Always. You know, what can we do to make this better? And that's been kind of ingrained with me. And then, kind of on the flip side. Uh, Fred Borman working with the historic surveys, that's been ingrained with me too. So Fred really was an in-depth guy. I mean, he was uh, um, just very, very meticulous and very oriented to making everything, resolving everything and, and finding the absolute answer. Um, so that, that includes the title answers, the research answers, the right-of-way answers, everything that's associated with the boundary survey. So um, just great exposure, young in my career, to these, these great mentors that, that were the opposite of the old crotchety, cranky surveyors. They were old and crotchety, but the, <laughs> they, they, they were forward thinking. 
So absolutely. So let's springboard off of that. Um, and one thing I failed to mention on your your intro is that your full time gig is actually being the county surveyor for Mojave County here in Arizona. And so for, for those of you listening that don't know where Mojave County is, it's up in the northwestern, furthest northwestern part of the state. Or as I call it, the drive-through to Vegas. The drive-through to Vegas. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about Mojave County. 13,700 square miles of land falls under my jurisdiction. Okay. Um, some of that, a good portion of that, is in uh, uh, federal lands. Mojave County is bigger than the state of Maryland. I think it's about equal to the country of Taiwan. I watch uh, videos of of Israel when Israel had to to go to combat with their neighbors or whatever they do, and and that's like about one third of the size of our county. And I'm 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 thinking, my gosh, you know, I, I'm in this expansive place that's just huge. So to manage the cadaster in 13,700 square miles is an undertaking in itself. Now, the good side of that is that a lot of it doesn't get disturbed. So when I go out and I look for monuments, I'm recovering the original brass caps set in 1915. I can go to the plat, look at the survey, and say, this is it. This is the real deal. I don't think that happens down here in Maricopa County, does it? Not not so much. Yeah. No. Not, okay. not as much. Let's just put it that way. In rural Maricopa County, of course, we, we, yeah. we, have, we have that same... Uh, I mean, I'll tell you what, we're so spoiled here in Maricopa County. It's, it's crazy. I mean, the GIS system that we have, um, you know, what the Maricopa County Department of Transportation has put together, it's just we're spoiled as surveyors. Oh, yeah. Surveyors. we got to give a shout-out to Brian Dalliger Brian for Dalliger, that. Brian no doubt. Brian yeah, D. He's done so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to that guy for sure. So um, I have this direct tie to the, the original monumentation, so... I'm not disturbed when I see a lot of things, and that I think I take that as a a blessing. So, sure. um, we're we're pretty pretty stable up there. So, yeah. So it, it sounds like your you know your early introduction to surveying the mentors that you had you know that all set you up really well for the position you're in right now. Not only being county surveyor, but even you know having that uh, that knowledge or that insight helps you um, with your role with the BTR. Oh, most definitely. Um, I think that um, experience, I've kind of formulated a thought in my head. Um, As a kid, I played guitar. I was in garage bands and things like that. And all my guitar teachers would always say, the more people you play with, the better you're going to be. It doesn't matter if they're good or bad, whatever. You're going to be better if you play with them. And I believe that about surveying too. I think that the more people you interact with, um, professionally and, and even um, as your job, if you were to change jobs frequently, I think that that isn't necessarily a bad thing in the surveying profession uh, with, with some caveats. But I think that diversity is very important in your experience base because you see the good and the bad of everybody and you can kind of, uh, f- kind of filter that out and let the cream flow to the top, so to speak. Yep, no question. And uh, I mean, you, you've you've done really well as a surveyor. You've made a great career out of it. Unfortunately, our profession is going through um, you know a, a time right now where there seems to be a decreasing number of people getting into the profession. The need for surveyors isn't going away. That's still alive and strong. But the number of people getting into the profession 
is is declining. You know, the number of post-secondary education opportunities is declining. Um, it's it's a serious concern. You know, I'm I'm 52 years old. I'm not sure how old you are, but I know that the average age of the surveyor not quite that old by a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the the age of the average surveyor in Arizona is like 58 years old, 59 years old, something like that. It's ridiculous, and that's like that's across the country as a matter of fact it's not just arizona it's not an arizona problem it's a problem across the country what what are your thoughts on that i mean what what why do you think that is and what do you think we can do to turn that around well i'll probably get a brick thrown at me or something for saying this but i believe that uh in the good years of let's say from 1995 to 2008 we picked up a lot of driftwood in this business. Warm bodies. We've all heard the terms, you know, back button, in button pushers. Uh, yeah, and I, the yeah. whole bit. Yeah, yeah. So I think it. I think like this: if we're getting the right candidates to come up through the ranks, that's more uh, more important than getting the number of candidates. Um, how do we manage that? How do we address that through our education programs or curriculum. Um, I, I don't know all the answers to that, but I say this, that um, there are opportunities still for people to go out and acquire an education in surveying. And I, I would encourage anybody, I would tell you that if there's anything that I didn't do that I should have done, it's go get a degree. Go get your degree in surveying. Even if you don't become a surveyor, you have a corporate value globally as somebody that knows how to measure. So you can go anywhere in the world and you, you've demonstrated to these employers your value that you know statistics, you know measurement. And these things don't just apply to land. They apply to, to every, everyday life. So they're valuable traits. That degree is the thing that makes our up-and-coming candidates very, very valuable in the job market. So the number of them I don't think is important, as important as the quality. So um, tying back into the, the four-year degree uh, program, I think it's a, it's a very good pursuit. Um, I, again, if, if I could go back, I would do one myself or if I could you know change time and all that. I, I don't have a degree. I've got a few credits, but um, I think that's the future of our business. We don't need a bunch of surveyors anymore. Let's face the fact. It used to be that eight guys out in the field would drop data off to one guy in the office and that one guy in the office would process it. Things have changed. Now it's eight guys in the office are needed to process what one guy in the field can produce, and we can thank technology for that. And I have no problems with that. I'm, I'm good with that. I don't care what tool we use to measure with, we're measuring. It doesn't matter if it's a steel tape or a whatever. I'm measuring. That's my job. So um, I, I think that's what's important. And the, the training of the, the up-and-coming generation to understand our electronic tools, to understand the implementation of software, to understand the soft skills, how to deal with people. You know, I mean, let's face facts. Surveyors are characterized as old grumpy wizards or hermits <laughs> or, or something like that, and they reflect that very well. Um, we need young, dynamic people that understand a business market, and, and they'll emerge. They will. I mean, it's sophisticated clients require 
sophisticated professionals. And I, I see that happening. Um, I can think of a few programs that are um, that, that come to mind. Um, and I say this based on some of the reviews I do at, at the board. I don't want to really get in too far into that. But um, there's a program in Nevada uh, that is active in Elko, Nevada, um, New Mexico State, Akron U. In fact, Akron U won an award for um, with the NCES for their program. I believe it was in 2018 in Phoenix. They were awarded uh, an award for the academic excellence in in their program. So um, I can think of a few. I know there's several more. Such a critical component, though. We really need to have that education presence in what we do because that's what the global. Uh, corporations, the global employers look for to establish that level of competence. I I agree with you, no question, but I also think there's no replacement for mentoring at the same time. I mean, there's only so much that you can learn in the classroom when it comes to surveying. There's those mentors like yourself, like myself, that we have to commit to spending time to these young surveyors that are coming up. And, you know, show them and teach them the things that they're not learning in the classroom. And I agree with that 100%. Um, education is not a substitute for experience, um, but it is a, a very valuable metric of, first of all, your dedication to your craft. Second of all, um, to the ability to do certain things. And again, they might not necessarily be in surveying, but they're in measuring. And when you boil it down, that's what we do. We measure. So I always like to think of myself as somebody that can measure anything. Call it machine parts. Call it this. Call it that. I know how to measure it. I know how to use a micrometer, not because I went to machining school, but because I know about surveying and I know about the statistics associated with surveying and I know about precision and accuracy and things like that. Now, I learned them through the back door. What we want to do is get these kids through the front door and say, okay, hey, we have this talented workforce here that can do more for you than just a land survey. They can start to do statistical comp computations and analyses and things for your corporation that are so invaluable that the other kids in every other program don't understand. And I think that's the beauty of this that I'm seeing emerge. And you have a quote that, I mean, it was brought up in our last uh, podcast with Melissa, as a matter of fact, and it's no rules for tools. And I want you to expand on that just a little bit, because when you mentioned it, I was in the room and we were talking about how these guys that are using drones and UAVs to do topos and stuff like that, that they should be done like that. That technology and the use of that technology should be done under... Um, under the the guidance of a, of a professional land surveyor, just because they are measuring near surface, which falls under the uh, um, definition of surveying in the state of Arizona. And which brings me to uh, so many different points, because I'm thinking about, you know, you've got these grade checkers, right, that are working out on these construction sites. They're not surveyors, but they're walking around with a GPS and they're checking grades, right? Is that done under the guidance of a surveyor? No, these are general contractors. I look at police departments all across this country. After an accident, you got these guys out there with scanners, with total stations. They're measuring. Technically, that should be done under the 
guidance of a professional land surveyor. What are your thoughts on those? Okay, let me start. Back in the <laughs> early 90s, I'm sitting in a bar and, and some girl asks me, what do you do for a living? And I said, I'm a surveyor. And she goes, oh, you're the jerk that calls me at dinner time on the phone and does a phone survey. And I'm like, no, it's right? totally yep. different. So surveyor is such a, uh, it's an unprotected term. Um, if I, I think in my perfect world, I, I believe that um, the exercise of professional discretion should be something that is left to the professionals. But on the other hand, people are capable of measuring. So when we look at the statute, the statute's very clear. It The first thing it starts out with, the we the people of that statute, is if you're offering a professional service. So if I work for, I don't know, name a company, any company, uh, a Ford Motor Company, and, and they have a test site, and I'm I'm an employee of Ford, and I'm measuring, and I'm doing things. That That's Ford's business, and that, that really is their thing. But if Ford contracts with me for professional services to certify to measurements that mean something to them that they're going to go do something with, I, I think that puts it in a different class. So I think that addresses the... the um, statute and and where we sit with that as far as you know because i i've heard comments before that, that you know oh gosh if you're out there building a garden you're surveying well you're really not you're not offering a professional service so let's leave that at that so i mean it um, boils down to public safety right it, it really does and that's what we're looking at you know if i if i am promoting myself to the public to say that i am i'm professing that's the word I'm professing to the public that I can make certain measurements and I can make them with a, a certain level of accuracy and I can analyze data. And that's the part that a lot of people forget. It's more than just measuring between points. It's the analysis of data, record information, things like that. Compiling um, an evidence package that's acceptable or suitable or, or meets a, a certain threshold to be presented in court. I mean, ultimately, that's what a boundary survey is. So um, I think that's the, the important factor there. Anybody can go out and measure between two points, but they, they might not necessarily have the, the benefit, the skills, or the knowledge of understanding uh, how titles, land titles interact and how monuments interact. So going back to your point of rules for tools, um, that was something I said. That is a quote I borrowed from Robin Petzl of the uh, Florida Board and he might have borrowed it from somebody else. I don't know. But it, it just resonated with me when he said that. And I said, yeah, that's right. I mean, we don't, I, I can't go out and regulate ropes, right? But geez, if you're Egyptian and you're over there measuring the Nile Delta, oh, should I be down there picking on you? Hell no. So <laughs> I, I think that's the importance of it. And, and that's what the rules for tools thing is about. If somebody's using a drone for a specific purpose and that purpose is contained within uh, whatever their, their sphere of influence is, uh, you know, they're doing it. That, it's the same as a Stanley tape measure. I buy at Home Depot. There's no difference. Um, so rules for tools really applies. Um, it, it just applies to everything that we do, the normal, the normal stuff that we do. So when you're offering the professional service, that's the thing that we're interested in, right? That's the thing that we do, Kent. I mean, you and I, are uh, we offer this service. And that's what the public expects. They want us to be competent with what we're telling them. So 
kind of a simple deal in my head, really. I probably talked way too long on that. Oh, no. I, <laughs> I appreciate it because when you said the rules for tools quote, I was like, that that really struck a chord with me. And I mean, I, I think about it all the time and it is, it's, it's dead on. I, yeah. I, it, I, I agree. I agree. It really isn't. That, that's the, the strength of the resonation it had with me when Robin said it the first time I heard it from him. And I, I'm sure he, it came from somewhere else. But that should be a commonplace uh, notion in all of our heads. You know, so um, am I anti-drone? No, I love drones. I think they're cool. I, they're the the most advanced piece of measuring equipment we have now, and I think they're great. Will they do what I need them to do? Yeah, in some applications, and some applications they won't. Um, I do a lot of, or I have done a lot of different work that may not necessarily be automated. So I've got to get in there by hand and make some some manual measurements, some things that... Um, I, I'll I'll pick on my Arizona regis, registrants here. Arizona registrants, uh, there are some occasions where guys just own GPS and they go out and they work in environments where GPS is completely suitable for their needs, and that's their measurement tool. Fantastic, use it and and be productive and and protect the public. But there's occasions where you get into tree canopy where you might need a total station or you might even need to use a tape measure. So, whatever tool we have. That's immaterial. It's the measurement that we make that we certify to the public that's the value of what we do. So you and I have kind of, we've grown up in the profession of surveying probably about the same time. So I think we've seen a lot of the same. No, you're way older than me, a lot like of the three same months. Things, three months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm this many. <laughs> so this is going to be a great question. So like when GPS first came out, I can remember when the company I was working for, you know, spent gosh, $150,000 in the first GPS system, right? And then all of a sudden we started reducing our fees because now we have GPS, we can do it faster, you know? I was like, no, <laughs> you guys got this all wrong, you know? You don't go spend $200,000 on the latest and greatest drone and start reducing your fees. It makes no sense, you know? I mean, surveyors historically are not the best business people. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. That's why um, you said they got to go to college. Yeah. Well, that's where college comes in. Really? Um, yeah. So I'll give you an example here. Um, when I'm called in as an expert witness in court, there's little to no disparity in what I'm compensated when compared to the attorneys. Just There's just not. I'm at the same level. What those folks are paying for is not that I sit in a courtroom for eight hours or 16 hours and get grilled and beat up like the, the coyote in the Roadrunner cartoons by the attorney because I'm an expert witness. Yeah. What they're paying for is the 25 years before that of my experience. So how do you cram 25 years of experience into an hourly rate? You know, and that that's really what it boils down to. That's what being an expert is. So the same thing holds true. If you if your billing model is the same as a plumbing business, I don't think that you can serve your clients effectively because we're not doing plumbing. We are doing something that is is a legal function. We're collecting evidence. We don't know what it's going to cost. We honestly don't because we don't know the evidence up front. So when we do a boundary survey, it's really an open ticket. So that boils down to this argument, and Kent, stop me whenever you want to on this, but I'm going to kind of rant here. Um, I call them 
pardon my French, but they're dog crap surveys. And they're when two neighbors are fighting and it's because your dog pooped in my yard or I hate you or your car is better than mine or this. Me going out and locating a boundary for them for 500 bucks does nothing for their problem. That boundary is the boundary. I've, <laughs> I've told more than one client in my private practice, ma'am, you do not need a surveyor. You need a, a therapist. <laughs> and that's really what it boils down to. So when I was in my, when I had my active practice in Colorado, I really shied away from that stuff. And I learned quickly that that's not the client base I want. The client base that I want is I, I want a really um, commercially motivated client base that understands business. And when they are challenged, faced with the challenge of we have a boundary dispute and this boundary dispute contains geez, I don't know, 2% of our total land that we're going to develop, what's the most cost-effective way to get through this and resolve this issue? And that's the value of having a good client base. So, uh, I mean, we really have to step back and, and, and say to ourselves, okay, the Rancho Santa Fe subdivision went through the, the public subdivision process. This thing's been laid out. All the corners have been set, blah, blah, blah. All the houses were set in conformance with these corners. The county, the city, whoever was there overseeing this. These residential subdivisions are not surveys at all. They're, you know, These people just need somebody like an umpire to come out with his little home base brush and just brush off the corners and, and okay, you're good. That's where it's at. You know, quit fighting about this fight because, you know, whatever you hate each other or, or whatever. So going back to my point and, and this ultimately ties back into the education thing and what we were talking about several minutes ago, the better surveyors that we have, the educated surveyors, these are the people that are going to understand the business concerns and business decisions. And when they have a sophisticated client like, uh, geez, I don't know, I'll, Kent, name somebody that we're not going to be in, in fraction of with a copyright. Name a big corporation. That, oh, geez. Intel? Intel. Intel comes into town. They want to develop a fab plant. They know that it's cheaper to pay these people $50,000 for that 10 foot by buy whatever 300 foot strip of land they'll just pay him ten thousand dollars and resolve the issue because it it it's a more sophisticated need they have a specific need that's the kind of surveyors that we we should embrace the ones that can say here's your evidence package here's the problem here's how we res we resolve it put this in front of your attorneys let's go to the neighbors let's resolve this after it's resolved We'll file a record of survey when it's finalized. When the authoritative parties, which, by the way, are the owners, not the two dingling surveyors, and that's dingling with a capital D and a capital L, the owners are the authoritative parties. When they come to an agreement, that's when I'm going to issue my final boundary survey. And those are the kind of sophisticated boundary folks we need. Um, I... The, the programs that I look at that I have the benefit and the opportunity to look at through the BTR are employing, um, when you look at their programs, you'll see in their curriculum, you'll see that they have boundary dispute issues. So they're on the right track. They're saying, you know, you need to know the legal end of this. And I think that's critical to this. I don't think that it's important 
or as important that a guy can go out and physically measure to the hundredth every day the same time the same way. He needs to understand the legal concepts between the title, he or she. Um, and and that that's the important factor. And if there's a weakness in curriculum right now, I think that would be it. I, I don't think you need to spend a lot of time on geodesy. I think you need to spend some time with... Uh, be, and I say that because geodesy is pretty much automated now, right? We have computer models that can make a circle and a spheroid and a, an ellipsoid and all that. So we need to look at these legal concepts. So if in the future as we advance, um, I, I would look to these curriculum to, to develop and bolster and, and enhance the legal ends, the title end, um, the the land ownership end of things, so that the surveyor's prepared to deal with this stuff, rather than just walk out and say, "Here's the number, here's your slice of bread, and that's it," and walk away. That's like pulling a pin on a grenade and throwing it in a room. Exactly, garbage. I mean, there's the common sense comes into play at some point, right? Yeah. So I I have two more questions for you. Okay. Okay. Right. The first one is, and now there's, I think I mentioned this earlier in in this episode, but there's a number of survey-based Facebook pages, right? There's one in particular called The Field Crew. Okay. Um, are you on Facebook? I am not. No, I, okay. I think I do Instant Messenger on my phone, kind of, but <laughs> I really kind of gave up on that because of the... Yeah. I, I looked around and I said, really nobody cares what I say, so well, <laughs> that, that eliminates that. Well, But but I just I, I didn't like the political tones that it So has. there's there's a Facebook page called The Field Crew and okay. it's a great idea. I mean kudos to Michael Platt who put this together. Um the I posted on there gosh I think it was Wednesday. It's a great resource for us for content. So I posted this question on there. Do you think that surveying is a profession or a trade? What are your thoughts on that? Wow. Silence, pause, whatever. Um, to me, surveying is 100% a profession. I make it that. To others, it really is a trade. There are people out there that think that their job is to go out and physically measure and that's it. Those folks are dying. They're dying because technology is phasing them out. These are dinosaurs walking into the La Brea tar pits and just falling into this tar and just dying. <laughs> and they really are because the, 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 what do I want to say? The pride behind the measurements is gone. You know, 40 years ago when guys had to pull chains and turn transits and, and double angles and, and do all that kind of stuff, there was pride in that and there was truth in that and you had to be better than everybody. Machines have taken that over. The measurements are very uh, are the smaller part of what we do now, so um, it really is emerging into a profession. So much so, and I've got a little story here. Um, this is a CFED story. I ran into a CFED. Now I I deal with every state board in the country and and the ones that are affiliated with NCEES that are outside of the country. So I'm dealing with all the regulatory boards. I meet this fellow from Washington, and I, I his name escapes me right now. Registered land surveyor. He's a land surveyor member on the board. And on his uh, name badge, it said CFED. And I went up to him, and I, I've, um, I, I, I've just never embraced the CFED program because I don't work on federal lands. I believe that you need congressional authority 
to do that. And I don't have that as the county surveyor, by the way. So, um, but anyways, I, I asked the fellow, I said, well, you're a CFED. How has that training benefited you? And he said, well, I, I learned a lot from it, you know, and I, I paid my money and it's a good thing. And I said, okay, what do you do with it? Do you work on the reservations? Are you out doing the survey on the Indian reservations like the BLM told us was going to happen? And he said, no, this is what I do with it. And 60% of my business is based on the fact I have a CFED. My ears perked up. I'm like, tell me, tell me, my friend. Let's hear what he does. And this is really cool. I'm, I'm intrigued by this. Now, this is in the state of Washington, and there's a lot of tribal lands. The tribes go out, and they acquire property. And they'll acquire titled property, stuff that you and I own. It's got a title insurance report with it, the whole bit. You know, it could be torrentized land. It could be whatever. They acquire that property. They buy that property, and what they do is they vacate the title to it. And they do it honestly, and they do it openly, and they do it with good intention. And this is this is a pure act here, and I this is what I really like. So they'll buy, I don't know, let's call it a section of land. They'll buy that land. They want to incorporate it into their tribal lands. What they're doing is they're removing it from the chain of title. They're like, you would call it money laundering if you were in the, the mafia or something or a bad businessman or something. But they're laundering this title. But they're doing it honestly. They're not hiding anything. They're not cheating anybody or anything. They So they hire this fella with the CFED to go out and do a title report, locate the easements, find the stuff that's going to give us problems when we go to vacate this title. And I'm fascinated by this because that's what this surveyor is doing. He's not doing a lot of surveying. He's doing more boundary analysis. And 60% of his business is from that. And I said, that is cool. And the whole process is cool, by the way. I think it's cool that a tribal entity can, um, they're reverting the title back to what I would call a prenatal, prenatal state of title. You know, we, we are used to something with a patent and it's, it's patented and it's good and that's it forever. These guys are undoing that somehow. And I think that's kind of a, a neat process to, to watch and understand. So the guy that they employed, they didn't employ attorney. They didn't employ a paralegal. They didn't employ a, an accountant or a nurse. They employed a surveyor. Remember that. There's more to this game than putting stakes in the ground. Absolutely. So they just take the land off the grid, basically? Well, they do. They, what they're doing... They're taking it back. They do it legally. Mm -hmm. They do it legally. They follow the what we'd call the process of English common law, and they erase the title. So if you had a, a pipeline easement across there or a driveway easement, or if you had a piece of title in there, they would pay you completely for it, and they would... They they cleanse the title, they expunge the title almost, and they do it in a uh, in the right way. The yep. way that I'm I'm kind of impressed because I'm not sure that our federal government always thinks this way. And these tribes are doing this; they're doing everything right. And I I thought, wow, that's cool, you know that that they're doing that. So th what they do is they assimilate that land back into theirs. So it's kind of a neat, really a neat uh, process. But again. They didn't call a lawyer. They called a surveyor. I think this goes back to common sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, why couldn't they call a title company to do this? Right, yeah. But this guy had a CFED, so he had something that was attractive to them, something that was interesting, that that elevated his credentials. Yeah. So, so 
you you've clearly done a whole lot. Sounds like you've worked for a decent company that you are very fond of. You owned your own business in Colorado, you I said. Did. I did. And now you're working in the public sector. Yeah. So you run the gamut. Um, I have. If there was something you could go back in time and tell yourself when you started all this, what would you say? Off the cuff, get a degree. And I had that opportunity. My boss, um, Charlie Rowling, my, my great mentor, said, you can, I, I will send you to Columbus, Ohio which I lived in Cleveland, a hundred and some miles north. And he said, I'll pay for your degree. I was afraid. I was afraid that because I had to work, I, I wasn't in a scenario that's comfortable now where, where kids are 26 and 27 years old going to school and everything's handled. I had to always kind of take care of myself for personal reasons. But I was always afraid that I couldn't keep up with working 8 to 10 to 12 hours a day and then going to school with whatever. I look back in hindsight, and I think that was a foolish decision on my part because I, I probably should have trusted Charlie more because I think he would have nurtured me through it. And that that's probably the, the fallacy in my way. So I had the opportunity to go, go to Ohio State, and it, it never materialized. And so if I could change something in my surveying career, that would be it. I believe that if I had a degree right now, I might not be sitting in Arizona. I might be traveling the world. And that's the value, again, that's the value of a surveying degree. You can go anywhere in this world and say, I know this information. I'm accredited. I, here's my, my degree. I can tell you about statistics. I can tell you about boundary law. I can tell you about chains of title. I can tell you how to measure. I can tell you how to analyze statistics. I can tell you about linear regression. I can tell you about curve fitting. You know, we think a curve fitting is, oh, that highway curve and ADOT screwing up or or Mojave County screwing up or Jason Foo screwing up or whatever. <laughs> that curve, happens a cur lot. Curve fitting is, <laughs> is, is so much applied, though, in, in every business application. So all the skill sets that a surveyor gets are so applicable on a broad base. And I, I think that's the strength that we have. So now we have photogrammetry, which we've had for a long time. But you look at that that element of it, and you're valuable anywhere in the world, aren't you? Right? Because, um, I mean, you're photogrammetrist. Absolutely. So the world needs that. Now, I'm going to look at Africa here for a minute. I read these articles. I get new Google news feeds that pop up about these uh, African countries around Ghana. And they have an emerging title system. I, for some reason, they something happened around maybe the time we were born, Kent, I don't know, 50 years ago or so, where the government went through something. Okay, and I, I'm not sure about it. I should study up on this. But what, what's happening now is they have this emergence, and they have the need for the knowledge of land surveying and title surveying, not not the guy that can go out and run the GPS and make a 200-foot square and say, there's your 200-foot square, but the guy that can research titles because that's the backbone of all this. They're looking at their cadastre. They're looking at what people own, how to protect what these people really own. And they're in really a... Um, a less stable environment than we are. I mean, we enjoy the benefit of English common law and 400 years of whatever we've done on this continent and and a very stabilized position. They don't have that. They have, I mean, they could be run over by the country next door the, the next day. And maybe maybe I'm a little presumptuous to say that, but, but they're really in a, a less stable environment. So they value this very much. So 
it, it intrigues me right now, and I'm looking at these nations, and I'm thinking, how can I help these guys? What can I do to reach out and say, okay, folks, you know, I, I'll, I'll impart my experience to you and let you know what I know to help stabilize your cadastra, because that is the foundation of our society. Neighbors getting along together, living, cohabitating, and saying, this is mine, this is yours, we all know that, let's go on and let's do whatever we do. So our crops, cobble our shoes, make our guitars, uh, whatever you do in life, you know, whatever your pursuit is. Mm -hmm. So they're struggling with that, and they're, they're, um, they're in a position uh, chronologically, they sit... Um, in, a, in an emerging position where we're in a, a more stabilized position with things like the PLSS and, and all of the things we've done over the last 400 years in this continent. So it's uh it's really interesting. You mentioned that because I don't know, gosh, a couple of years ago, a guy approached me and he is like intimately involved with doing that exact same thing in Mexico, just because land ownership, there's, there's value there now, you know, and it's just, it's, there's not a system in place. You know, there's like these 99-year leases and stuff like that that, you know, that's what people are basing the ownership on. And it's it's changing. It's rapidly evolving. You know, they're catching up to, you know, where we're at. So it's super interesting you say that. And actually offline, we'll have a further conversation because I can put you in touch with somebody who shares that same passion. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, and, and speaking of passion, what um, – you're, you're a very motivated guy of, from the time I met you. I always respected you and your passion for surveying. Um, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, going back and studying case law and things like that. What keeps you motivated? Do you have like a, and this is Ryan's favorite question, but do you have like a, do you have like a, like a mantra that you live by, you know, that keeps you going? Oh gosh, mantras. Um, <laughs> you know, probably, and I hate to say this cause it's, it's dumb, but there's a couple that I have. The first one is, the worst part about being a pessimist is when you're right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, you're so like, true. oh, man, that bummer. so you true. <laughs> so I don't like to be a pessimist, and I, I probably tend to be. Um, the second thing is, lead follower, get out of the way. You know, just, just if you don't have anything constructive to contribute, get out of the way. You know, that, that, that's my feeling. Um, so I, I probably have a few more somewhere somewhere else but i think that that's kind of where i'm at right now um i on a on an interactive level with folks people humanity um i think well first of all the only saving grace about growing old is that you have wisdom right i mean you trade off a lot of crap for wisdom and that includes sore joints and bones and waking up in the morning and not being able to do all the things, but they give you wisdom. So, okay, whatever. Um, but I think, um, probably just over time, the thing that I've learned and become accustomed to and value the most is understanding that first of all, my day isn't your day. So whatever's happening in your day is not the same as happening in my day. I might be happy. I might have won the lottery. I might be grumpy. Uh, Megan might be yelling at me, and I might be distraught about that, whatever. I don't need to reflect that on you. Um, the second part of that is that none of us are really 100% superstars. But we all have 
this wonderful quality that we can contribute and whatever it is. And you have to figure that out with your team. So maybe Joe's not a good speaker, but Joe is really good at math or Joe is very organized or Jill is um, uh, constructive in some way. You know, that those are the things. And I go back to this example, and I, I think of all those World War II movies where they, they run up on the beach and, you know, it's all the American soldiers. And in the movies, you know, the American soldiers are big and strong and they're, you know, they all look pretty damn good and they're all handsome folks and all that. That's not how it was. These people are like you and us. And they're, they're dumb hillbillies and they're dumb this and dumb whatever. But we're all equally dumb. But together, we form pretty good teams really good teams and that's the thing that we have to draw on to make that team so here's my example of the night and i probably shouldn't do this but <laughs> do it <laughs> that's how every good story starts <laughs> i would take 12 of him he's pointing to jake by the way not ryan no, i'm sorry not yeah i would take i would take 12 jakes and I would win the Super Bowl yep. because Jake is a hard worker. Yep. Jake is motivated. Jake wants to reach as far as he can. That's all I need. I don't need brilliance. I don't need Einsteins. If I had 12 Einsteins, can you imagine? We couldn't clean the litter box, right? <laughs> but if I have 12 Jakes, I'm going to the Super Bowl because they have desire. They have passion. That's, that's the thing. That's common in surveying. Kent, you know that as long as, as both of us have been doing that. Yep. We are a passionate crowd. No doubt. And we need to harness that and, and keep that going. I think it would be a 11 Jakes and a Tom Brady for the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have some kind of like a drug screening program on that? <laughs> I, I don't know where that's coming from, man. Uh, speaking of that, all, uh, all, all I know is we're going to have to get Jake some new headphones because those aren't going to fit anymore. It's, it's getting a little big. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's no, an example. I, so we agreed, take who's agreed. around us. That's yeah. our team. Let's yeah. go with our team, yeah. draw on their strengths, and we move forward. We get everybody facing the same direction, and we're marching ahead for the better of everyone, society, the public, you know, the health, welfare, safety, all that stuff we say down at the BTR and, <laughs> and uh, you know, but just the public in general to make a better society and a better place that we live. That's the beauty of what we do. We really are a noble profession and we, our function is to stabilize the cadaster so that neighbors can go on and, and not have to worry about fighting with each other. Yep. If they do have a problem, they go to court and they resolve it. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that. So. Absolutely. So is it that time again? We're there. Yeah, uh, we're to that point. Um, what, one last thing, Jason, is there anything? First of all, thank you so much for being here. As I said, I've always respected you. And, uh, you know, thank you for your, your service. You know, thank you for what you do on the Board of Technical Registration. You've represented the surveyors incredibly well. And, uh, you know, being the county surveyor in Mojave County, can't be easy so we we owe you a debt of gratitude for for what you do for the profession in general and uh i've got like another at least half a dozen things on my list of things i wanted to talk about so my hope is that you'll come back sometime with that being said is there anything else that maybe we haven't touched on that you want to make mention of i do i want to i want to uh, give a plug to the learn cst program um this thing is fantastic. Uh, I, I know the folks that have uh, worked with this program. Uh, Glenn Thoreau comes to mind from New Mexico. 
Um, Alan Sheaves is behind the scenes doing things uh, with the uh, Sheaves Media Group. Um, so this Learn CST program really is a, a wonderful tool for us to um, develop our talent pools and to encourage people to come up through the ranks. Uh, just, a, just a great tool. Um, from what I understand, there's some things happening where things are coming online right now and they're being very accessible. So what I need to do is come back to you with a full detailed report yep. of what's happening there. So um, a lot of good things. I would encourage everybody to take a peek at uh, learncsd.com and Sheaves Media. Of course, I write for Sheaves Media, so I don't know if this is a paid-for promo or whatever, but you can read me in the American Surveyor Magazine. So Yep, and you do amazing work. And we were Thank talking you. about it before, the, uh, before we started the podcast this evening that – one thing I absolutely love about the articles that you post in American Surveyor is they're they're not really long. You can read through them in like less than five minutes, and they're very direct and to the point, and you write exactly like you speak. So for me, that tells me that, you know, there's, there's a lot of passion behind that. And as far as the CST stuff goes... Um, you know, I'm president of United Surveyors of Arizona. We're huge supporters of uh, the CST exam. We got to keep keep them going in that program. You know, no question. Absolutely, and I, you know, I can't I can't leave this uh, <laughs> this segment without giving a plug to Kurt Sumner and all of the hard work that he's done for NSPS, yep. the Trig Star program, and the CST because he's yep. he's in that mix too. And uh, th this thing really is such a valuable program to us. Yep. So. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. So we had mentioned your diet earlier before we started. <laughs> Throw that right out the window for this question. Okay. Um, one sandwich for the rest of your life. Peanut butter and jelly, sloppy joe, or grilled cheese? Okay. Process of elimination. Grilled cheese. Bah. <laughs> as much as I love them, I don't think it's sustainable. I, I got to go with the peanut butter and jelly. I think it's the most practical choice of all. That's a surveyor answer right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's really is. analytical, right? <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Again, thank you, Jason, for being here this yeah. evening. Oh, thank you, guys. Uh, it's been um, great. We hope you'll come back and, uh, you know, look forward to the next time we have an opportunity to chat. And well, I look forward to working with you in the future on whatever it is you got going on that we can help you out with. So, well, Likewise. And I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I'm telling you guys out in TV land here, this kid, Jake, is on fire. This kid's smoking here. Yes. You got to see him hook this stuff up. I'm like, holy smoke. Yeah, yeah we couldn't do it without him. I'll tell you what. Yeah, we're going to double his salary We're today. doubling it, yeah. You just got to raise, Jake. I think we ought to get this guy into the fold of serving, huh? You know what? There is some potential there. What, what's your no degree, Jake? Doubt. What's your degree in? I don't know. We'd have to check it out. I'm doing marketing right now. We so. Marketing? We yeah. can flip that over real quick. Yeah. <laughs> our, yeah. Our, uh, our attorneys would have to talk to Jake's attorneys in order yeah. to uh, we'll make We'll get contract happen. worked out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we can do that. Yep. He'd be solid, though, no doubt. Yeah. So that being said, I think we're ready to wrap, put, put a bow on this one. Another, uh, another great episode. Jason, fantastic. Amazing content in addition to uh, the bio stuff that you shared with us. We appreciate that. And uh, we'd like to give a shout out once again for, to uh, XYHT. XYHT. Measure yep, this. Yep. Their podcast, Measure This, the NSPA podcast, Surveyor Says. And of course, the uh, RPLSToday.com website. Check those guys out. Tons of great contact there. Thank you to Social Hall. Studio One's amazing. One more thing, man. American Surveyor got all their 15 years of content archived today. 
You can get online and see the last 15 years of our magazine. What's that website, Jason? Uh, Ameriserve.com. Go there, check that out. Ameriserve.com. And check out the Geoholics. It's all there. <laughs> Geoholics.com. Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram. We're everywhere now. Our, uh, our downloads are proving that. And, of course, Kohler's with Dangerous. Thank you so much, everyone. Until next time, be safe. Peace out.